And <clears throat> I don't know what's happening with my throat this morning, but I'm going to do this anyway, all right? Um, the first thing I want to do is to just thank you all. Uh, whether you know it or not, you guys have invested in our church for the last five years, and our church has now made it to five years as a church. Can y'all give it up? <clears throat> uh, statistically speaking, most church plants never see five years. Um, and so I do want you to know that it is in, it's due to your investment um, and prayers that we have made it this far. So thank you for what you have done for us. All right? Thank you so much. Um, as you can see, the name of this message is Watch Your Mouth. Anybody ever heard that statement? Okay. Um, we are a very talkative generation. Uh, in past generations, there were things that we didn't talk about or things we only talked about in certain spaces. Some of us were raised to believe that some conversations should stay in the house. Anybody was raised to think that? Yeah. Others of us were raised to believe that certain conversations can only happen in certain spaces like the barbershop or the salon. Still, there are some of us who grew up hearing, stay in a child's place. Anybody ever heard that? Now, I grew up hearing that one. And what that communicated to you as a child was that there were certain conversations that were for adults only, or even that a child is not allowed to have thoughts or opinions on certain things. Some of us, though, grew up in some healthy environments where there was a balance between authority and freedom of speech. Uh, I have a grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, raised five daughters and one boy. As you can imagine, there was a lot of talking in that house with five girls. Um, and one of the things that my grandmother did is she created an environment where her children were allowed to say things that were on their minds and things that they were thinking through. She gave them one rule. The rule was you have to be respectful as you speak. You can say whatever you need to say, but you still need to be respectful as you speak. That is something that my wife and I have now transported into our family with our four children. The reason why I bring this up is because where and who you come from really has a lot to do with how you do or how you don't communicate. It has a lot to do with how you will or how you won't communicate. Today we're going to look at a passage that wants to teach us how to govern what we say. To put it in simple terms, James 3, 1 through 12 wants us to know that what we do with our mouths is actually very important. Now, I've summed it up in this statement, watch your mouth. <laughs> we all know what those words mean. Even the kids in the room know what those words mean. When I was growing up, watch your mouth could actually be loaded with all kinds of meaning. It could mean don't use certain words, watch your mouth. It could mean stop talking altogether. Watch your mouth. It could mean be careful with your tone while you're speaking to me. Watch your mouth. It could mean now is not the right time. There was a lot wrapped up in those three words for me. This morning, family, James wants to give us five ways to watch our mouths. In verse 1, he says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James says one of the easiest ways to watch your mouth is don't be quick to teach. Now, I said that where and who you come from 
has a lot to do with how you do or don't communicate or how you will or won't communicate. And in order for us to understand what James is saying here, we need to understand the backdrop by which he is writing this letter. This is not disconnected from everything else James has had to say in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He is talking to Jews, and there was a specific temptation that the Jews had as God's chosen people to want to be teachers on the sole basis of the fact that they had faith in God and that they knew stuff about God. That's not a temptation for us at all, is it? (laughs) Jesus gives a prohibition in Matthew 28, verses 1 and 8, and then in Matthew 23, going down to verse verse 12, Jesus talks about how these scribes and these teachers are behaving. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they, have, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. Jesus says, wanting a place of honor is not a reason for you and I to want to be a teacher. He condemns this. When we get to Romans chapter 2, verses 19 to 21, the reason why he condemns it is because they are teaching but not doing. Let me read it for you. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of the knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Because of this, teaching should be limited to certain people. James says, not many of you should become teachers. This temptation to want to teach and lead before your life is ready is a very big temptation in our day. Everybody is a Bible teacher. Y'all know that, right? Like, everybody who has a phone that has a camera on it is a Bible teacher in our day. Everybody is a dispensary of knowledge all over social media. Everybody's a guru. Everybody has a podcast. But, yeah, y'all should laugh at that because everybody literally has a podcast. (laughs) But the question is, do they have lives to match? How many relationship gurus have been found cheating on their spouses? A lot of them. How many wealthy people have been found stealing money? A lot of them. The limitation is there for a reason. It is not to stifle us, but it is to protect us. Not many of you should become teachers. Now, this morning, I'm grateful that God has allowed me to be in a position where I'm a leader and I'm a teacher in a church. I actually have some of my members here. Hey, (laughs) y'all. I'm grateful for that. Um, But if I'm going to be honest with y'all, I wanted to be a teacher and a leader a long time ago. And uh, the truth of the fact of the matter is I wasn't ready. So I'm going to tell y'all a story, all right? A couple years ago, like 10 years ago, I was working at APGFCU, which is literally right around the corner. And uh, I had been there for about five years, and my manager at the time had asked me to apply for a supervisor position that became open. I go through the whole thing, I apply for the position, I interview, we do the whole process, and then they tell me, you're not ready yet. 
which is a little shady because y'all asked me to apply for this job. I didn't ask y'all. <laughs> Said, you're not ready yet. So they hired another woman um, who had worked at Comcast. She had never worked in banking her entire existence. They bring her in, and guess who they asked to train her? Me. I can't even, my wife and I were talking after the last service. She was like, you seem like you're still mad about that. I am still mad about that. <laughs> okay, I know it was a decade ago, but still, like, that don't feel, like, everybody will be feeling some kind of way about that. The, the fact of the matter is, though I wanted the position at that time, I was not ready at that time. So I'm going to tell you all what I did. I quit that job. Yeah, you, don't clap yet, though, because here's the thing. <laughs> I was unemployed for 11 months. Um, I couldn't even get like minimum wage jobs that I was like overqualified for. Now, in that season of life, uh, I quit the job. We had just bought our house a month, two months before that. We had two young kids. Man, how old were they? Two and one? Two and one. She got pregnant with our third child. It was a lot going on, by the way, like at that time in our lives. But what the Lord was doing was he was maturing me. Because though I wanted the position, my life didn't match the words that I had at that time. Are y'all with me? So James is saying something here. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with stricter judgment or with greater strictness. This is a message of caution. He gives them a warning as to why. Those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Who here wants to be judged for greater strictness? <laughs> I don't think any of us. But we will. And the fact of the matter is we will be judged by God with greater strictness because he cares about what's being communicated on his behalf. But you also will be judged with greater strictness by people. People will not be gracious or easy to forgive if you say you are one thing and then you live another thing. We have all been on the other end of that. We'll be like, I thought they said that they were dot, dot, dot. James says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James says simply, we all sin still. What I love about this is that he includes himself. He says, we all still trip over stuff. None of us walks out our faith perfectly. None of us are perfect. Now, some of us think we are, and some of us need to get that out of our heads. The reality is we are all in this process that we're calling sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. James says none of us are perfect, but we can have an upstanding or what he later writes as, uh, and Paul writes as a blameless walk, which means that like when an accusation gets thrown at you, it doesn't stick. He said, we can have a blameless walk, but we will not have a perfect one. It is because of this that we should enter into the role of teacher with apprehension and caution. But James is not using this reality to forbid everyone from entering the role, is as I said a few minutes ago, to limit it to select individuals who have the character and the self-control to execute the job well. He says, though we all stumble, in many ways, there are actually people who do not stumble in what they say. 
What I think is cool about this is this actually shows us how God can actually mature you in one area while still be working on you in another area. The person who does not stumble in what they say is a mature, developed, fully grown disciple of Jesus Christ. We would call them an adult, a grown-up. That person is able to bridle or keep under control his whole body. That is spiritual maturity. Not how long you've been in the faith. You know, sometimes we be looking at people because they've been in the faith for a long time and spiritually mature, but my mother told me that there's a such thing as an old fool. So it can't be length of time. The reality is we know people who have a lot of information in their head. They are what we call book smart, but they don't have common sense. Amen, somebody? All right. The reality is the spiritually mature believer is a person who has control over their own being in a way that they cannot and will not be moved by external forces because they operate their own control center. And this is a big deal. If you and I are going to watch our mouths, we must control our tongues. James says the tongue is a great place to start. If you can control your tongue, you can control your whole person. He then shows us how we know this to be true in the material world or what we call everyday life. Look at verse 3. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. James wants his readers to know that this is not some nebulous spiritual principle. There's something, this is something that we actually see practice every single day. James wants to draw our attention to how big of a deal this actually is. We control large animals and we can control ships by controlling one very small part of them. We often think that what we say is of little account. But James tells us in the preceding verses of this chapter to not even waste our breath to say that we have faith in God if our obedience to God does not follow. The point that James is trying to make is that just like our actions will tell if our words are hypocritical, the words you use will show the nature of your life. So he says, don't just say that you have faith. Let your tongue prove it. Whether you know it or not, Everything in our lives wants to operate our control center. People want to operate our control center. Think about how often you spend time managing somebody else's thoughts of you. That is to allow them to control your operating center. Money wants to control your operating center. How do I know? Think about how often the tide of your emotions changes with the balance in your account. The reality is images want to control our operating center, the things that we watch on TV or even comparing who we are to who somebody else is or, dare I say, our spouse to who somebody else is. Sin wants to operate our control center. How often do we wrestle with sin on a daily basis? 
Our control center is actually under attack all day long, every single day of the week. But he says, if you can control this one small thing in your life, you can control the bigger things that try to corrupt your faith. James' point here is that it is possible. If we can control the beasts of the earth, if we can control the beasts of the earth using their tongues, it is indeed possible. Romans 6, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. He says, let not sin reign in your body. Now, if he starts with let not, that kind of means we have a choice in Jesus Christ. I have a choice now because of the indwelling of the Spirit as to whether or not I will submit to sin or if I will submit to the Spirit. He says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. James would say it like this, control your tongue. But some of us in the room this size may still not see the necessity of controlling our tongues. And if that is you, I want to say it to you like this. Don't diminish the impact of your tongue. Don't diminish the impact of your tongue. It doesn't matter that you consider your tongue small and of no account. Verse 5 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Your words will control your life. They will direct your path. Proverbs 18, 20 and 21. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, we make this verse very mystical, you know? It's like death and life are in the power of the tongue. What does that mean? Let me, let me demystify it for you. A person's words, figuratively called the fruit of his mouth and the harvest from his lips, can benefit himself when his words are positive and uplifting. However, one's words or his tongue may bring death as well as life. Here's an example. A witness in a courtroom, for example, can help to determine by his word whether a defendant lives or dies. Your words will cause things to happen. The tongue is small, but its impact and what it can create is monstrous. We have no greater example of this than social media. If you have any type of social media, can you please raise your hand for me? Okay. We have all seen how one statement made, one word, word that's incorrect can go viral, right? And not just in this country, but actually like worldwide. And we've seen the firestorm that that can create. James gives another example in verse 5. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And to make sure that we're not confused as to what he means, look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. 
The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. He says, you may regard your tongue as a little thing, but it is a fire. You may see it as small, but it is a world of unrighteousness. It creates very big realities because, you know, the world is kind of like massive. The impact of your tongue can be massive. I think the idea behind using such strong language here is twofold. It is to show just how big of a deal this actually is and how serious they should take it. But I also believe it is to give them a mental picture of the evil it can cause if not kept under strict control. Some of y'all are not going to like this statement, but the reality is cussing may be the least of your concerns. Like, you might think, like, I'm good because I don't say those words. No more. (laughs) Um, But if you are found talking about somebody, your tongue is a fire. If you are found like saying things that are not true about somebody, your tongue is a fire. He says it is like Gehenna. Gehenna is the place where death goes to die. Your tongue can create a life that looks like Gehenna, full of filth and death and destruction and evil and stench. He says, I understand you may not see it as a big deal, but it is. If this is the kind of environment your tongue can create, then the reality is you must work hard to master it. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He says the tongue is more difficult to tame than any animal we've ever known. And to me, this is crazy because there's a lot of fierce animals out there that we've actually tamed. But James says the tongue is harder to conquer than the lion. He says the tongue is harder to conquer than a bear. The tongue, when doing evil, does not sleep. It is constantly destroying, and it is full of deadly poison like a serpent. He says, if you think that you can tame your tongue on your own without the help of God's Spirit, you are delusional. If you think that this is something that you can do on your own, you can't. You actually need the Spirit's help to help you. What I love about the imagery here is when he says it is full of poison or venom, it brings to mind the image of Genesis 3 in the garden when there was a serpent who did what? What y'all say? He spoke. He used his tongue. And he had an intent behind using his tongue. His intent was to set on fire the entire course of life, and it worked. Did God actually say, you can't eat of any of the trees of the garden? (laughs) Here's how it comes to us. Did God actually say you should keep your mouth closed? Did God actually say, be careful what you say? Did God actually say be measured when you speak? (laughs) The answer is yes. The devil comes and he asks a question that literally shifts everything that God made into everything it should not be. The tongue is powerful. But what I love (laughs) is I love 
that the gospel comes to redeem. Yeah, the tongue is powerful. And by the time we get to Genesis 4, we find a brother killing another brother, right? That's Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Hebrews 12, 24 says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, for every single time that Jay has used his mouth incorrectly, Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Man, for every single time that you said the wrong thing, or you lied, or you miscalculated, or you gossiped, or you slandered, Jesus' blood speaks a better word. You should say amen to that. Because that is the gospel that we believe. Yes, we fail, we fall, but his blood speaks a better word. God said, I hear the sound of your brother's blood crying out to me from the ground. But Jesus, man, but Jesus has actually done something to redeem us. His life, his death, his resurrection is real. Paul said, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are wasting our time. I bring this up because as James said, none of us are sinless as it relates to our mouths. We actually need the gospel. There's a real way in which what we say shows whether or not we actually believe the gospel. I want to say it to you like this. Show your faith by your tongue. Show your faith by your tongue. We have the opportunity to put our faith into action. Look at verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James starts with the positive. He says, we can use our mouths to bless God. A few weeks ago, you guys heard a sermon about praise and worship and using worship as a way to encourage one another. We can actually use our mouths to bless the Lord. We can use our mouths to encourage others. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The reality is, James says, the tongue is like a fire. I could say something to one of my children today that could set the course of their life on fire. I could say something to my wife today that could set the course of my marriage on fire. I said this in the first service, but Pastor Steve and Pastor Stan, they could say something up here that could set this church on fire, no? No? I, told, I like people to talk to me, I'm sorry. Yeah, they could. The reality is our tongues have a purpose. We should be using our mouths to build up people as fits the occasion. But as fits the occasion requires something, and it's this word, wisdom. You're going to have to be able to pay attention and discern what is necessary for the occasion. How do I use my mouth to build and encourage somebody else in the Lord that it may give grace to those who hear? The reality is some of us is like, no, God gave me words and I'm going to use them. But is that what the Bible says? Are you free to just do whatever you want with your mouth? 
Listen, I know y'all are a church who don't believe in the separation of Jesus as Savior and Lord, but the reality is if Jesus is Lord, he gets to tell you what to do with all of you. Like your mouth too. The text says, use it for building up as fits the occasion. Ephesians 5, 19, y'all heard this one a couple weeks ago. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You can use your mouth to bless God. You can use your mouth to encourage other people. But you can also use your mouth to tell people how faithful God has been in your life. When is the last time you have shared your testimony with somebody of like who you were before Christ and what Christ has now done and how he's made you new. When's the last time you rehearsed that story? When is the last time you told somebody about the recent blessings that Jesus has brought into your life? Because here's one, I'm still living. I was in a car accident where I should have died, but I'm still here. That is the blessing of Almighty God. I still can breathe. I still can see. I still can hear. I have the activity of my limbs. Are you using your mouth to talk about how faithful your God has been? I'm not saying you don't have problems. We do. But the question is, are you seeing God's faithfulness in the midst of a struggle? If you go back and look at your testimony, that can encourage you. Yeah, things are hard, but I am nowhere near what I used to be. And praise the Lord for that. Amen? All right, you can also use your tongue to instruct your kids or your grandkids. Some of you in this room have grandchildren. And no, you are not the primary uh, influence on their lives, but you can use your mouth to build them up. You can use your mouth to give your kids wisdom on how to actually raise their kids. You can use your mouth in that way. You can use your mouth by telling yourself the truth of who God is. How often are you encouraging yourself in the Lord to remind yourself who God says he is to you? Because you can actually use your mouth that way. Yeah, my God is faithful. Here's a simple one. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... (laughs) It literally says it. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wonder if you know how much is in that verse. If we confess our sins, the first thing it says is he's faithful. Now, when we talk about somebody being unfaithful, what we mean is they've walked away from us. What we mean is they've traded us in for somebody else. What we mean is they're not showing up for us. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he will show up. If we confess our sins, he will be present. If we confess our sins, he won't walk away. But that's not all it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just. Man, what that's saying is, though in the court of God's law, I should be held guilty for my sin, he is just, and he will hold my sin against his son who paid for it in my place. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, and he'll cleanse us. Because what point is forgiveness if I'm not going to be made new? Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Are you seeing how one little verse could be something that you take with you every single day of your life. Who is your God? 
Who has he said he's going to be to you? Use it. <laughs> All right, let me move on. There is another option. You can also use your mouth, your tongue, to curse people. Now, we done talked about cussing, and I'm not here to do a whole sermon on cussing. No, no stop using the words. All right, that's it. <laughs> um, but when he says you can use your mouth to curse someone, there's a little bit more to what he's saying. It means you can use your mouth to wish evil on someone. You can use your mouth to speak evil against someone. You can use your mouth in a way that God says you shouldn't. What I love is that he ties this here to the fact that people have been made in God's image. If you use your mouth to curse someone, literally what you are doing is refusing to see them as an image bearer of God Almighty. Now, I have the privilege, (laughs) and some might say the task at this point, um, to be teaching Bible to middle schoolers, 7th and 8th graders. Yeah, y'all should pray for me. Because <laughs> um, sometimes I want to fight, you know what I'm saying? But that's not what Jesus wants for me. <laughs> so I started my first day in class with some values for what the class would run like. And one of the values was respect. And I asked the kids, hey, what is respect? And they pretty much mentioned like an authority figure, you have to show them respect because they're an authority. So I asked them, do I need to respect you because you're not my authority? And it was mixed reviews in the class, you know what I'm saying? Someone was like, yeah, you need to respect me. And someone was like, ah, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so what I said to them is respect for me is very easy. It is treating someone like God made them. It is to not treat them in a way that God would not treat them. Uh, we, we, we tend to have a lot of rules and guidelines for stuff when it actually can become very simple. If I treat you like God treats you, and if I don't mishandle you in a way that God would not mishandle you, I am respecting you as an image bearer of almighty God. James says, when we talk negatively about people, when we gossip and when we slander, when we tear them down and we judge them and we condemn them, when we yell at them and when we scream at them, we are causing harm with our mouths. But what I love is that he uses here the image of God language. And as he uses that language, he seems to be tying our sin, not first to the person, but to God. David said in Psalm 51, I have sinned against you and you only, talking about God. Now, if you know David's story, those are crazy words to say. Because he did not just sin against God. He also sinned against Uriah. He also sinned against Bathsheba. Last time I checked, that Bible said the time where kings go to war, he was at home. He sinned against his army. But he wrote, I have sinned against you and you only. Why did he say that? Because our sin is first and foremost against God. We have to sin against God to sin against people. So he says, I need you guys to see how you use your mouths can be you raising your fist at the heavens and telling God, I don't care what you said I should do with my mouth. I don't care how you said I should use my tongue. He says, this flies in the face of God. When God said what he made was good, how dare we say anything else? 
There's one other scripture I want to bring to us real quick. Romans 8, Paul writes, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? I love that scripture. Many of us in here are God's elect. We have professed faith in Jesus Christ. But oftentimes with that scripture, we never turn that scripture around on ourselves. He says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? We tend to look at that as like, well, somebody has something to say about me. But here's the reality. You also cannot say something about you that God doesn't say about you. Who should bring a charge against God's elect? Not even you can say things about you that God wouldn't say about you. So I am not allowed to identify myself with sin anymore. I have to say what God says about me. I am found in Jesus Christ. I'm saved from sin. I'm whole. I'm complete in Jesus. I'm being perfected in Jesus. Are y'all seeing how this operates? He says there's a way in which you should use your tongue. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And then he wants to show us just how unnatural or how not, how not right these realities are. Look at verses 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He's literally saying, our faith in God looks like us using our mouths in a particular kind of way because anything else doesn't make sense. Like, a fig tree can't bear olives. A grapevine does not produce figs. A salt pond does not produce fresh water. What I'm challenging you with this week is to use your mouth as God has commanded. And there's a plethora of ways. And to not use your tongue in a way that he has, that he has not commanded. You use your tongue to build other people up, to encourage other people to sing God's praises, to speak well of him, and to encourage yourself in the Lord. That is how we should use our tongues. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to be before your word. Your word is always good for us. Your word is always right. Your word is good in season and out of season. Your word is good when it feels good and when it doesn't. God, we thank you for your word. And we are grateful that in your word, your word tells us that we have your spirit with us. And so I pray that you would be with us this week, that we would use our tongues the way that you see fit. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for these moments. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us all say together, amen.